if we show our kids what's possible and that we're doing the work on ourselves and we're acknowledging like, yeah, I messed up or yeah, I could have handled that better. or Hey, I learned this thing and I feel this way now. And I used to feel that way. Then it gives them the opportunity to evolve and to ask themselves like, Hey, is that really how I feel or the thing that I want to do? And I think that that's all we can do as parents, as, as partners, as friends is just to acknowledge the changes and what comes up for us. And then, you know, keep moving based on that. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dotches marmette We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hi, all. Welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. Today, we are talking with Kelly Moore, and she's the co-founder and CEO of Soulfire Productions, which is a premier podcast network for thought leaders, free thinkers, and visionaries. And we had such a wonderful conversation with her. She was so raw and open and real, and she really shared a lot of very personal information about her life and how she was always a rule follower and a good girl and a people pleaser, and how you know, working in the male-dominated sports industry and then developing a chronic illness really spiraled her into this breaking point where she kind of really got to know herself and figure out how to tap into her heart and her soul and then break free from all these expectations that she thought she needed to have in order to live her life. And now she is really living true to herself. And it was so fun and eye-opening talking to her. And she is helping so many other women and people today and really trying to create life-changing experiences and holding space for people to dive deeper within themselves and learn to express themselves. So, so happy to have Kelly here with us today. I also want to do a quick shout out for our podcast episode format that drops monthly. It's the 15-Minute Health Transformation Audit, and it's where we bring our community members onto the show for a 15-minute health transformation audit where we guide you to identify what's holding you back from your ideal health and wellness goals, and we analyze with you so you can really walk away with a tangible action step. And so we can help guide you on your journey to finding your art of living well. We love doing these episodes. Um, We're both integrative health practitioners and health coaches, and we love this kind of work. So we would love to have you on. Email the Art of Living Well podcast at gmail.com or click the link in our show notes and let us know you'd like to sign up for your 15-minute health transformation audit. And now let's welcome today's amazing guest, Kelly Moore. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Shield Your Body. Shield Your Body is a company that makes products to shield your body against electromagnetic frequency, or EMF radiation, from modern technology. Did you know that all modern technology is a source of EMF radiation? Cell phones, laptops, Wi-Fi, even your refrigerator is a source of EMF radiation. And each year, we are exposed to more and more EMFs. There are literally thousands of high-quality, peer-reviewed scientific studies demonstrating clear links between exposure to EMF radiation and a wide range of negative health effects, from anxiety and infertility to sleep disruption and cancer. Fortunately, there are easy ways that you can reduce your EMF exposure right now that cost you absolutely nothing. After reading the Shield Your Body Guide, I stopped using my AirPods something I used daily for hours sometimes and have switched back to the old school wired headphones. 
And for me, after reading the Shield Your Body Guide, I really put my foot down and insisted that my kids keep their cell phones and their laptops out of their bedrooms at night while they were sleeping. And I've been working on Jordan as well. And I think after reading the guide and listening to our podcast, he has finally agreed to do that. So download your copy of a free guide at shieldyourbody.com to start improving your health right now. And be sure to check out our episode number 123 with R. Blank, CEO of Shield Your Body. Hi, Kelly. We are so excited to have you on the show today. We knew when we first connected that we wanted to bring you on to the podcast just to share your journey and how you are inspiring and motivating women on their own healing journeys. And, you know, when I was preparing for this conversation, I was listening to you on your podcast and other shows, and I just love your energy your authenticity, how vulnerable and just real and raw you are. And so can't wait to share that with our audience today. Thank you. So everyone has a story and we would love Kelly to hear your journey in a nutshell from working in the male dominated sports television industry, struggling with chronic illness and ultimately leaving your very highly successful career to start Soul Fire Productions. Yeah. Well, thank you both for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Um, Yeah. I had a, you know, kind of a twist and turn sort of career in life for a while there um, and things have settled, which feels really nice. But I think much of my life was just so focused on people pleasing and living for others and achievement based and wanting to make my mom proud. And, you know, so I did the typical things of, okay, how can I get validation and people telling me that I'm doing the right thing? Cause I was a perfectionist and I wanted to make sure I did everything right. And so played volleyball, you know, my entire life up until I was 19. And then I was diagnosed with chronic illness and I had to give up my scholarship. I was bedridden. And so it was going from being one of the top players in the country, best shape of my life at 19 years old to one day, not being able to walk. I couldn't stand up straight. I couldn't feel my left leg. It was dragging behind me chronic pain head to toe, couldn't see straight. It made absolutely no sense. And it was obviously very scary um, because I had been healthy and, you know, an athlete my whole life. And so I, you know, got indoctrinated into this Western medicine medical system of taking pills and this is your life and just accept it. And I didn't really know how to advocate for myself at the time. So I spent about 14 years, very sick while at the same time, building my television career. So I went to USC because of volleyball, but also because I knew I wanted to be in TV and they had one of the best broadcast programs in the country. And so I was already on Fox Sports hosting shows when I was in college, immediately hired at 21 by ESPN, traveling the country, covering volleyball, moving into other sports, football, basketball, um, worked in New York for a year on a high school sports network. Um, and then eventually at the PAC 12 network, um, back to, you know, where I played at at USC covering sports there. And then the Lakers and the Dodgers network started and I was hired for that. And so that's kind of where I ended up, um, at the end. And that entire time I was so sick. And when you're a young woman working in television, you just, do what everyone tells you to do because there's this this ladder to climb, right? And it's like, if you have big audacious dreams and you want to go after things, you have to follow the rules and play the game. And I was really good at playing the game of listening to what they told me to do, all 20 of my male bosses um, at the networks, at the, at the teams, um, and fitting into their narrative and making sure I was skinny enough, I was pretty enough, my, my skirts were short enough, I was nice to the right people, I put up with guys hitting on me and assaulting me and all of those things because that's what you do. And I remember one day... I was going to Dodger Stadium and I woke up that morning and I looked at myself in the mirror and I didn't recognize myself. It was very much like an existential crisis where you're like outside of your body looking at yourself and you're like, wait, who is that? How did I get here? What happened? And it was like, I all of a sudden just woke up and the lights turned on and nothing was the same after that. Um, And I had started my healing journey. I had been properly diagnosed by a functional medicine doctor and Ayurvedic doctor in LA. And so I was on my journey to healing and understanding what was actually happening to my body because I had been misdiagnosed for so long. And I think that was part of the awakening of like, hey, your body's shutting down for a reason. And part of that reason is this very toxic environment at work that you're in every single day. And you can't do this anymore. And people always laugh when I tell them this. This is like my dark, my dirty little dark secret. I don't even like sports. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> what? So, yeah. So that's kind of a problem. Um, I also really didn't know anything about any of these sports. I didn't play them. I didn't watch them. My mom was a sports junkie, knew everything. Like she knew every guy on the chargers, you know, for years could name them all their numbers. Like she was all in and I was just not like that. And so it was so funny. I would get hired to do these jobs and I literally would buy, you know, soccer for dummies baseball for dummies. I would have like my colleagues teaching me the sport as I went because I got the job because I was hot and because I played the game well, not because I freaking knew the sport, which is just, it's, I mean, looking back, I'm 34 now. I'm like, what was happening? Like, that's just so not okay. Did you want to, I'm just curious. Did you want to be a sports journalist? I did because that's where I started, but I eventually wanted to work towards something like good morning America. Okay. Or like Access okay. Hollywood or something that was more entertainment based that just fit my personality more. But then I I ended up working for E! News for a year doing like red carpets and, and whatever. I think I was 22 and they fired me because I wouldn't ask celebrities super personal questions because I was like, this is none of our business. It was like they wanted me to ask Keanu Reeves something about... Um, Sandra Bullock and her marriage falling apart because they were best friends and I refused to do it. And then they fired yeah. me after that. And I was like, oh, this is so out you. of integrity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> I don't know what I was really ultimately looking for other than validation. I think that's such a good question, right? Is like, well, did you want to do this? Yes, because I got a lot of validation and I made a ton of money and people knew who I was all over the country. But at the end of the day, no, it's not what I wanted because I was miserable and I hated it. And if I had to ask one more guy about his stupid fucking home run, I was going to blow my head off. Like, that's how I felt. I'm like, the guys don't even want to talk about this. They're like, can we not? And I'm just like, yo, dude, this is my job. I'm really sorry. Yeah. You know? And so we would like commiserate together just trying to get by. And that was, that was kind of the end for me. And I went through a a sexual assault um, with a colleague and I came forward and went public about that. And that was really the end of my career. Um, You know, I was blacklisted from the industry, but it was a blessing in disguise because I did not want to go back to that. (laughs) Um, And so after that, I was, I was not working for about six months and I just kind of sat there and listened to myself for the first time and was like, what do I want? What would make me happy? And I didn't really have a lot of job experience other than being on live television. I worked at Lululemon for six months. (laughs) And so I was like, well, I don't have a lot of skills or a great resume for any job. Um, So I decided to start my own podcast and surround myself with amazing women and really heal a lot of sisterhood wounds, create community have conversations about alternative medicine, how I healed and just give women resources to other things. Cause that's what I didn't have. Right. It's like, Oh, there's another way to live. There's another way to heal different perspectives outside of my bubble. And so that's what I created with the show. Um, and it sort of evolved over years. And then when I met my now husband, Connor, we started soul fire together about two and a half years ago, um, because we just saw a lot of, you know, holes in the industry of podcasting and, people feeling just very isolated and don't have community and also really need help with production and strategy and how to grow a show. And I was really good at that because I come from a production background, right? Like I was on TV. I know what sounds good. I know what looks good. And I also know how to put something together that is really a a beneficial experience for the listener and brings a lot of value. And I'm also such a seer. I'm able to see people and help them see themselves. And so that's kind of how Soul Fire came together. And it's been a wild ride. What an amazing journey you've been on. I mean, (laughs) just, I mean, there's so much to unpack in everything you just said, but I'm still like, my brain is stuck on the sexual assault or Mm -hmm. you didn't say sexual assault, you said assault. Mm -hmm. So whatever the assault was, my brain is stuck there. And the fact that you said you came forward, you shared your story and you were blacklisted. Yeah. Like if you Google, if you Google my maiden name, Kelly Tennant, you will see the way people talk about me, (laughs) um, about that online. And, um, yeah, everyone from the industry basically turned on me. I think I only talked to two people, um, one of them is a host and one was one of my producers. Everyone else won't speak to me, which is fine. I understand they have to protect themselves. Um, But I, you know, I just got to a point, what really triggered me coming forward was the Harvey Weinstein stuff. Um, I remember being in my apartment in LA and 
I remember watching TV and one of the actresses was speaking and I was just brought to tears. I was an emotional wreck. And the first thing I thought was, I didn't know I could say anything. I didn't know you could say that this happened to you. And I also didn't know that this was happening and that it wasn't okay. And I don't know why I didn't know that. I think it's because like different things had happened through the years and people just kept telling me like, oh, it's fine. Like, this is what happens. You know, like I had a player try to kiss me one time during a pregame when I'm doing interviews and the entire clubhouse watched and laughed and no one did anything about it. And it's just like, that was just accepted, you know? And, and I have so many friends who have been raped, who have been assaulted, like horrible things have happened to them and they've never come forward because you are going to lose your career. And I just, I remember calling my mom that day and I said, mom, I didn't know that I could say something. And she was like, of course you can say something. I said, I just didn't know that it was like so wrong and that it was happening to other people. And she was like, yeah. And so that's when things kind of started to crumble and my body shut down because I had to talk about this person when I was in the studio and say really nice things about him. He was not only a colleague, but like a really dear friend. He wrote the foreword for the book that I wrote. He was friends with all of my friends, like very in my little circle. And so it was really hard, but I knew that, you know, I couldn't stay silent for my own sanity and my own health. And I also knew that other people had gone through things and, you know, it's sort of, I guess, my MO in life to speak up for people when they can't speak up for themselves. Um, and so that's why I did it. And I don't regret it at all. I'm so glad I did. Um, and I also think it's hilarious that, you know, people thought I was like <laughs> trying to get attention or whatever. I'm like, yeah, it wasn't fun for me to have ESPN, CNN, ABC, NBC, everyone. I was on the news on every station talking about how I thought I was going to be raped by this person who was a dear friend of mine. Like, no, I didn't want that attention. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, good for you for like, for breaking, you're, you're helping to break the cycle mm-hmm. and it was really hard for you, but you're doing it, like you said, for those people that aren't going to necessarily feel comfortable standing up for themselves right now. Yeah. And we need more people like you out there. Thank you. Cause that's just, it's horrific. And I think because you're in that business, you probably saw it much more than say Marnie and I see in our everyday lives. But when we do hear about it and read about it, it's just sickening, you know, especially we both have teenage daughters and the thought of that just, ugh. Well, and you know, even I, the thought that you felt like that was normal and that was okay. Yeah. Like what is our society teaching us that, women are raised to think that that's okay. Yeah. And that's what you need to do to get ahead. Like that's, I agree. Yeah. That's just so sad. Yeah. Well, and I think I'm not going to blame women in the industry because I, I get it. I do. But I think part of the problem is that the women who are older are not taking care of the younger women. And that's one thing that I did do a lot of in my last few years in TV is anytime a younger girl would come in, whether she was, you know, my backup person or from another station, I always befriended her and told her I was there for her. And I told her who to avoid. And I told her if she ever got into an uncomfortable position or anyone did anything to her to come to me and that I would protect her. And I just really feel like you have to do that in order to break cycles and shift the conversation. And I think this is in any industry, women feel this need to compete against each other. So it's like, one, well, he did this to me. So I guess you should go through it too. It's part of like your, you know, initiation into the business, or I'm not going to help you because you might take my job, which was my experience. The two people who were ahead of me at the Lakers and the Dodgers were terrible bullies and treated me horribly and never told me any of this. So, you know, I find out later that they know and they had their own experiences, but why didn't they tell the 25 year old who came in having no clue that this is, you know, what goes on? Um, you know, and, and I just think it's really unfair. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, good for you for mentoring them. And that, I guess that leads us into our next question. You know, we know that you're really deeply passionate about helping people see themselves more clearly. And we're wondering how can people set themselves free from expectations that they have for themselves? And often those expectations are passed down from childhood or stories that they've told themselves, or maybe stories that someone else has told them. Yeah. 
I mean, this is, this is the work, right? It's discerning what is yours and what is not yours. And I think that this is a lifelong journey. I'm going through this again now that I'm pregnant. It's like so many of the childhood things that I experienced and expectations from my parents and just the way I was raised are being brought to the surface to, for, for me to see them and acknowledge them and let them go. So I don't continue this with my own kids. And I think, you know, we are taught, by our parents at school, by society, that you just take what other people tell you as truth, as your truth, and then go live that out. And, you know, I used to facilitate a lot of women's circles and work with women one-on-one. And one of the biggest things is like, well, my mom told me this, or my dad believes this. And so we take that on as our own. And so I think what we really have to do is get quiet with ourselves. And I didn't do that until I was out of television and was able to actually hear my own voice because all I ever heard was everyone else's voice, whether they were a stranger on the internet or my mother. It was like, how can I appease this voice? How can I live up to this standard? Or, you know, my dad says that I have to have a nine to five with benefits because that is, you know, security and financial safety and that's what matters. So then people get a nine to five and do this and they're miserable and they don't know why. And it's because that's not in their core values. Their financial stability may not be a core value for them. Freedom may be a core value, but they don't even have access to that because they're so busy doing what their dad told them to do. And that that means success or safety or love. And so I think we have to get really quiet with ourselves and start to discern what is mine and what's not. And I think that my whole thing has always been asking better questions. And whether this is this is in journaling, writing your own prompts, or just having conversations with yourself when you have the space to, is a belief comes up or a pattern comes up and asking yourself, where does this come from? Do I actually believe this? Is this mine or is this my mom's or my dad's or my grandma's? And why have I taken this on? And what does it mean about me? And I think when we can start asking better questions of ourselves, it it leads into radical honesty, which is something that I really care about is I think so much of this taking on other people's beliefs is betraying ourselves and we're lying to ourselves. And so if we want to get clear of like what is ours and what we actually desire and want in life, we have to be radically honest in the questions we ask ourselves. And we have to be willing to let go of the expectations of other people and making sure that everyone else is happy. You know, if, if your dad is happy because you're doing everything he wants, but you're miserable and your life is falling apart and you don't like yourself, like, is it worth it? And I think people don't get to that point because they're not willing to say, I, I'm okay with disappointing someone or making them uncomfortable because it's easier for me to just keep them happy and suffer silently within myself. And I just don't stand for that. And I think the more we can just be honest and start to listen to ourselves and understand what our own inner voice sounds like and that intuition, the more we're in touch with ourselves, the more confidence we have to say no to things that are not ours. And then your life drastically changes. Yes. I mean, that you said that so well. And we've talked a lot about, you know, these like childhood patterns and programs, but it's really like that sitting with yourself and asking yourself those really deep questions. And maybe it's journaling or people have a hard time just sitting with their own thoughts though. Oh, it's scary. (laughs) it, it, It is. And it takes a long time to figure out what do you want? Like that's an easy question to ask. It's not always an easy answer to come up with. Yeah, And I think like your childhood and your upbringing and what you've talked about and being a people pleaser and all of that, you know, and then, and then your diagnosis, right. With a chronic illness that you had for many, many years, like, and you wonder how much of like what you were doing and sort of like the mental aspect, you know, had a, had an impact on getting the chronic illness. Cause there's so much of that that's intertwined, right. Between, yeah. Like, the mind and the body and those symptoms that you had were not just like physical, but they were related to some of this mental stuff too. I have to I 100% agree. When I first saw my, my functional medicine doctor in LA, his name is Dr. Lekos. He is an angel. And the first time I saw him, he said, um, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but this is all in your head. And I was like, Okay. (laughs) Do tell. (laughs) Um, Because I think a lot of women are shamed into believing like you're making this up. You're, this isn't real. You know, the fibromyalgias of the world. 
um, which is what my diagnosis was, was fibromyalgia for almost that entire time I was sick. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, I'm not saying that you made this up, but what I'm saying is that all of this is a physical manifestation of your trauma, like your childhood trauma, physical trauma you've been through. He's like, your work environment is extremely toxic and negative. You have a really terrible family dynamic. You've been manipulated and controlled your whole life. Like there's sexual assault here. Like, let me look at the big picture. Of course you're sick. Your body cannot keep up with this. And you're just people pleasing and you're not taking care of yourself. And we have to fix this because I'm going to do all these tests and we're going to figure out, you know, the stool samples and the SIBO and the leaky gut and, you know, chronic fatigue, all of that totally legit. I had all of those things and we did all the testing, but it was so much deeper than what was happening in my gut. There were reasons it was happening in my gut. Uh You know, my body was showing me red flags for so long. Even before I was sick at 19, I had mono for eight months, my freshman year at USC I couldn't do anything. Before that, I had pneumonia, I think my senior year of high school. Like my body was always shutting down. I didn't know. And so when he said that to me, I was like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. He's like, yeah, you have this stored in every organ in your body, in your tissues, and it's weighing you down. Of course, you're going to be tired. You cannot function anymore. Your body is saying, I cannot do this. And so he sent me to a shaman and I started getting into plant medicine and I started working with healers and I started working with a therapist and just getting to the root cause of everything. And I was healed in a year and a half. Wow. Wow. And That's you had amazing. 17 years you had yeah. this, these symptoms. That's amazing. I, lo- I mean, I know that's awful. I love hearing these stories because there's hope for people out there that are going oh, yeah. through something similar. It's not in your head, but you have to like look outside the box of what most of us believe is, you know, Western medicine or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. There are all these other modalities and paying attention to what's going on, the emotional and mental aspect of your health, not just the physical body. I was just going to say the emotional piece of a person is huge. Like your brain and your emotions and what's going on in your mind completely impacts the physical symptoms that people have and dis-ease in the body or whatever you want to call it. And one thing you said that stuck out to me was you said, you know, I think you said you were like 17 or 19 or something, but this has been going on. You had like some family stuff happening, even in your younger years where you weren't maybe being true to yourself, you were being more of a people pleaser. And I'm curious how that changed as you started to heal yourself and understand what you know, what you were doing and, and how you kind of stepped into your own authenticity and your own true to, true to yourself, how those relationships changed for you. Amazing question. Yeah. So as I was healing, I started to pull away from a lot of toxic relationships, started questioning my, you know, my career. Um, I chopped my hair off. I changed my wardrobe. Like I was going through this full transition and I just started to be able to identify all the little things in my life that didn't fit anymore or just made me uncomfortable or kind of like, you know, cringeworthy. And I'm like, I don't know why I don't like this or why this feels weird, but I don't want it around anymore. And one of those things was my relationship with my mom. And I started to pull away from her. And it was, it was so funny. I think, you know, a lot of young women can resonate this if you have had codependent relationships with your mother is I would call my mom 20 times a day, my entire life. And I thought that was normal. And I remember I was about 27 and I told someone this and she looked at me and she was like, you talk to your mom that much? I'm like, yeah, don't you? She's like, no, I talked to her like twice a week, maybe. And I was like, whoa, you know, when you just like see your whole life flash before your eyes. And I was like, wait, I thought everyone did this. I mean, I would ask my mom, like, what underwear should I wear? How should I handle this? My boss said this to me. What should I say back? Like, I could not make a decision for myself. I was so um, dependent on her to dictate my life because I wanted her to be happy and proud. And because we had such a like horrifying enmeshment um, because my mom didn't have really any other friends. She didn't spend time with other people. Her, I was her whole world, way more than my brother. It was like, I am her world. And so I started to pull away and I stopped calling her all the time. And she panicked and she kind of turned on me. And from that point until she died two and a half years ago, 
our relationship was so tumultuous because I no longer needed her the way she needed me to need her. And I was living my own life. And I had finally, like, you know, when kids go through like their individuation in high school, I never went through that. I went through that at 27, 28. And she was just panicked. And so, you know, she, she died angry at me and we didn't get to have like a kind goodbye. It was just like, she was mad and I was sort of resentful. And I, I got more resentful after because I realized so much of my life was people pleasing and manipulation from her. And so as I healed and as she passed and was no longer the center point of my life, this thing that had such a hold on me, I was finally able to let go. And I was finally able to kind of what we were talking about earlier, discern myself as an individual from her and not just wrapped up into what she wanted and how she, you know, believed the world worked and all of that. And it was really hard to let go of certain relationships and to also see the way I had allowed myself to be under someone else's control my entire life from a very young age, but also the work for me and taking that power back and making new choices for myself and not letting that be my story. Yes, I had a very narcissistic, wounded mother who never dealt with her own shit. She loved me so much and did her best. I believe that 100%. But it was also really toxic. And I know that for me to be the person I want to be, to the mother and the wife I want to be, I get to let that go and I get to write a new story and not let that have a hold on me. And I did that with many relationships, many friendships. I just walked away and, you know, people didn't like it. And at the same point, I just don't give a fuck. Like, I'm just at that point. You cannot care. And I cared so much, which is why I was sick. And I had to stop caring and I'm so much happier now. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that very personal story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I mean, that that must be hard, but you seem like you've come out of it and you're, you, you used that experience as a, as a learning and it's all part of your journey Mm -hmm. to become your authentic self and to share that and show others that they can too. And it's, it's hard, it's hard stuff that we go through in life. Um, (laughs) yeah. And and now you're going to be a mom. And probably when this episode airs, you will have a little baby and you're just going to take all of those learnings and experiences with you and, you know, creating this life for your, for your little one. And I will say it's like, it's hard. Like, you know, now I'm my, I have two in college and one in high school. And I talk to my mom a couple times a day for sure. And I definitely think our relationship could use some work. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, it's a little more enmeshed than I would like. And I have to really take note of my own parenting and try and make sure that I'm giving my own kids the space that they need to be themselves. Mm-hmm. But I will say that there are times when it is really hard and you want, you know, everybody wants what's best for their kid. And I have to remind myself that I don't know what's best for my kid. They know what's best for themselves, but it's really hard to do that. Yeah. And I think you're so spot on. And I think this is a lifelong journey, especially as women is the more we learn to trust ourselves, the more we teach the people around us to trust themselves. You know, it's like, I, I don't want, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I, you know, I don't know everything. And um, I don't want my kids to think that they have to come to me because I'm the one that holds the magic key for their life. And I think you're right. Like acknowledging our own codependence. And I think there's very healthy levels of codependence, um, especially when you're aware of them and you can take, you know, space for yourself and all of that. And then also showing your kids that being such an example of like, yeah, yo, I'm codependent <laughs> and this is a pattern <laughs> for me. And yeah. also like mom needs some alone time and mom's going to take care of herself and we're going to do these things and you show them what's possible. I think that we're never going to be perfect and I'm not even a mom yet. You know, you guys have way more experience than I do, but it just feels like, if we show our kids what's possible and that we're doing the work on ourselves and we're acknowledging like, yeah, I messed up or yeah, I could have handled that better. or Hey, I learned this thing and I feel this way now. And I used to feel that way. Then it gives them the opportunity to evolve and to ask themselves like, 
hey, is that really how I feel or the thing that I want to do? And I think that that's all we can do as parents, as as partners, as friends, is just to acknowledge the changes and what comes up for us and then, you know, keep moving based on that. Absolutely. And I think one of the big learnings, and I've, you know, been on very much a, a journey and healing through childhood stuff too, is we don't know, like you said, we don't know everything as parents, but I think we learn more from our kids than I ever thought possible. And that's not something I knew when I first had kids. It's something I've only really learned and come come into, I've come into this belief. And I share this with my kids all the time. Like they are here, like they chose us. They are here for a reason. They are helping us make us better humans and parents just as much as we're, you know, teaching them along the way as well, because we're older, but sometimes they know a hell of a lot more than we do actually. And I think it's just like a change and a shift in how we're parenting. It's just a generational thing as well. I agree. I think yeah. I don't, I, maybe it was your form or somewhere else, but um, I was writing down my favorite book um, and it's Journey of yeah. Souls. And I don't know if either of you have read it, but it is my Bible. I yeah. just think it is so magical. Um, it's kind of what you were talking about. Stephanie is like, our children choose us. I, mm-hmm. I really believe that um, in the book, they talk about how, you know, it kind of gives you a picture of our souls are up in this like ethereal space and we have an opportunity to see our life and see the different things that can happen, see the different paths and then choose, okay, I'm going to go into this and this is the thing I'm going to work on. And this is going to be my relationship. So, you know, maybe Stephanie and Marnie, like you were mom and daughter in one life and now you're best friends and business partners in this life because you realize, okay, we've closed the mom daughter chapter. Now we're going to go work on this thing. And I think that for me, it just helps us, helps me understand that so much of our life is a choice and we have perspective and we see what is available to us before we even come into this life. And I think for, for me, at least it, it fuels me with this sort of power and awareness that one, this is not the first time I've done this. And two, everything happens for a reason. I really believe that. And my mom and I chose each other because we had some serious stuff to work on. And I'm sure this is going to go on in another life because we definitely did not close that chapter very well. (laughs) So talk to you in the next one. Um, Maybe I'll be her mother. And (laughs) 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 Um, no, but like, I really feel that. And, And so when, if you look at it in that way, and it's not just this like free for all and like things are just happening to us. And I got sick for no reason. And woe is me. And my mom died and was mad at me. And I, and now I'm angry. It's like, can we release all of that and understand that everyone is on their path on their purpose? And though we may not agree with it, and though it may be very uncomfortable for all of us, there is purpose to it. And there are lessons to be had. And I think that it just like, it gives me a lot of peace knowing there's something bigger going on than the, the day-to-day minutia that we constantly get caught in. Couldn't agree more. That was, yeah. Uh, we, we could go on and on and talk about this. I love diving <laughs> into this topic, but okay, let's pivot a little bit okay. um, and talk a little bit about control. And I know before we started recording, you kind of mentioned this, but you know, how many women and especially moms, as you will soon learn, find themselves trying to micromanage their families and their households. And, you know, I see a lot of this with clients, with their food. And I know you've talked very openly about your relationship with Connor and how you've started kind of releasing some of this control and stepping out of the masculine and into your feminine and how that's been working for you. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always been very much needing control um, and needing perfection within that it made me feel safe. Um, and it's funny because when I started questioning everything and asking better questions and journaling and all of that, the idea of, well, what is safety came forward? What does safe mean to mean to me? What does it feel like to me? And it came up a lot of, a lot in somatic therapy as I was working through different things that had happened in my life. And I had to redefine what safety meant because Before, safety meant always knowing what was going to happen next, having control over the next step, um, you know, feeling like I could anticipate whatever was going on, having a plan B. 
all of that kind of stuff. And I just realized that that left a very little room for curiosity and fun and freedom and spontaneity because I was just always nailed down to the plan. You got to follow the plan and do what you're supposed to do. And so when I redefined safety for me, beyond like, you know, feeling seen and, and held in that way, but Safety is the ability to be curious. Safety is the ability to try new things. Safety is the ability to go on adventures and be spontaneous and allow myself to change my mind. When those became my definitions and I understood what it felt like on you know, a, a cellular level within my body of how I responded, um, it really allowed me to open up and realize that the control I had was a facade And I was never actually in control. And I was just, I had this death grip on my life. And um, I was really limiting myself inside of this tiny little box that I kept myself in. And it's so funny because some of my worst fears happened. Like our puppy was killed. He ran in front of a car and and got hit. And he was nine months old a couple years ago. And like, that's worst case scenario, right? (laughs) Um, It like crushed us. It was the worst thing that ever happened to us. And it was right after my mom had passed away. So I was just in like this terrible death cycle. But the thing that, I mean, so many things came out of that. But one of the things that came out in terms of this is that like the worst things happened. I got to experience them and they were really awful and I was okay. I survived and I actually came out better from it. And I think that we're... We're always so scared of like these things of the worst case scenario or what if this happens? My what ifs were like a million miles long in a list and God forbid something happened and I would just panic and I realize that life is going to happen. Things, things happen all the time. Like I could die tomorrow. I have no idea. And the more I can release control, the more I can understand that I get to just be in the flow of life and respond as things come forward, not tell a story about a thing that might happen in five years and be have my nervous system on high alert preparing for that for five years. If I can just be present and let things come as they may and do my best to respond and handle myself accordingly, then life is a lot more enjoyable and a lot more fun. And there's a lot more space in my body and in my environment to do things that are really fun and that feel good rather than putting this pressure on myself to always have an answer, to always feel like I'm in control, that I can't let go. Um, It's not fun. And I think that's another huge reason why I was sick is because I just, I had to have control. And my body was like pulling in every which direction, trying to hold on so tight to everything to make sure that I had all the balls. Got to hold all the balls. If I drop a ball, like everything's going to, you know, fall apart now I just throw the balls around and I'm like, well, (laughs) if I drop one, then I drop one and I'll just respond. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's been, it's been quite the journey. (laughs) How did you like figure that out? And how do you, I mean, how do you take a person that's so wound up in control and unwind them, whether it's yourself or someone else? Yeah. Well, my aggressive answer is plant medicine. So <laughs> if you feel the call to that, <laughs> that will help you surrender. Um, like, are you, ta- are you, are you, can you clarify that? Like, are you talking about like mushrooms? Or are you talking about marijuana? Like what? Yeah. I mean, I think any and all of it I've done, you know, I've um, done mushrooms, uh, regular marijuana user. Um, I've done ayahuasca multiple times. I've done MDMA. Um, I've done combo. Um, yeah, so I've done a lot of different things and I'm not saying this is for everyone. I was kind of joking. Um, for me, it really helped because plant medicine for me is a way for me to get out of my own way. It's my experience with plant medicine is that I can hear myself. I don't hear anyone else. I don't hear other entities. I don't hear other people. It's like, it breaks the barrier between me and myself and it's, me telling myself what I need to hear and what I need to feel and showing me what's available. And it removes doubt and fear. And it just is, it's so pure and um, so connected to the body that for me, that was really powerful to surrender to myself and utilizing the plants as the facilitator for that. Um, And so I think that's extremely powerful, especially when you're in a 
ceremonial experience. There's a lot of different, you know, uh, MDMA uh, therapists and practitioners now. Same with psilocybin therapists. You can sit with them. You can work through your trauma. You have a trauma-informed therapist to help you when 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 things come up and it's confusing and hard so that your integration is, you know, very protected and safe. Um, and I think that those are really powerful modalities. Um, I also have friends that have been doing uh, therapist-assisted ketamine therapy, um, which has been mm-hmm also super transformational. Um, my, my friend and client Jessica Zweig on Simply Be podcast did an entire podcast about her ketamine therapy. Um, I highly recommend because I, I haven't heard a ton of them. Um, and she spoke with her doctor about her experience. So I think those are all incredible ways um, to acknowledge your control and fears and to surrender and to feel really held. Um, I think the other way is journaling. Journaling is such a powerful tool, tool for us because it's a non-judgmental space where we can show up as ourselves. I think so many of us are afraid for people to see who we really are. We're afraid to see who we really are. <laughs> and so to just go admit things to people, like obviously I'm a very open book. I wasn't always like this. I would never tell you how fucked up I am because I wanted you to think that I was perfect and all put together and so amazing. My family called me Perfect Kelly my whole life. Like if you didn't think I was perfect, wow. my world was over. Yeah. And now I'm just like, here's my stuff. Like we all got it, you know? And, Uh but this has been years and years of therapy and journaling and acknowledging and honest conversations with myself to just spew this out to you. And I think to get there, we have to get the stories and the beliefs and all these things out of our bodies. It's like a somatic experience in journaling when you can write things down that you're so scared to admit to yourself, to your friends, to your partner, whether it's desires or fears or, you know, I'm a control freak and I need everything put a certain way. Otherwise I'm going to lose my shit. And when you can get it out of your body and you can see it in front of you, I think it makes it a little less scary. It's like, Oh, we, I created this big monster story in my body and in my head. And now I see it on paper and I'm like, that's what I was scared of. (laughs) But we're so good at like making things so much worse than they are and playing these games of what if, or if this happens, you know, blah, 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 or preparing for something that likely won't ever happen. And our confirmation bias is so strong. I remember my husband, but when he was still my boyfriend early in our relationship, I had such deep abandonment issues. And I kept saying like, well, you're going to leave me and you're going to cheat on me and I'm not good enough and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, have you ever heard of confirmation bias? (laughs) And I was like, no, what is that? And he's like, you say something so much, you create a dynamic where someone's going to fulfill your belief. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa. He's like, do you think that you constantly telling me I'm going to leave you and cheat on you is like helpful or like makes me excited? And I was like, no. And he's like, why would you keep putting that out there? And I did that with everything so that I could confirm my own bias so I could be right, which made me feel like I was in control. Oh my God, Kelly, I do this. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate to so much of what you just said (laughs) and the control. I mean, I'm working through all this, you know, myself in my own way, but um, God, I think more of us, I think more women, I don't know. This just seems to be a little bit more prevalent because my husband will say the same thing, kind of like what Kano says. Um, and I love that you redefined control and like safety and what that means for you. And that it's the spontaneity and like more playfulness, right. And like not having all the answers and making up your mind and changing your mind. Like we need to be, I just think in general, as a society right now, more women need to be doing this. Um, (laughs) like, and all the things, and if it's plant medicine, it's plant medicine. And we have a podcast episode that we talk all about that. Um, And, but journaling is just a very easy way to do this. You know, anyone can do it. And the power of a pen and a piece of paper and your own thoughts is pretty powerful. Yeah. And just stop lying to yourself. Like a little tough love for everyone here. Stop lying to yourself. You are betraying yourself. It is not your story. Like stop perpetuating the cycle that has made you sick and not like yourself and have body image issues and you know, sex issues and all these things that 
come up because we're lying to ourselves. Like when is enough enough for you? That's what I always ask people. I'm like, at what point are you going to say, okay, enough is enough. Not enough of us are getting to that point. We just keep staying in the same thing over and over and we're not willing to be honest. And I think that as soon as we get to the point where it's like, okay, I can be honest and I'm willing to see whatever that big scary monster I think is over there. I'm willing to see it. I'm willing to acknowledge it and accept it and move through it. And it's so often not what we think it is. And even if it is really scary, horrible things have happened to people. I'm not discounting that. Like some people have had the most tragic childhoods, experiences I would not wish on anyone, of course. And are you going to continue to let that dictate your life? Or are you going to make a new choice for yourself? Are you going to say, yeah, this happened to me and not, yeah, this happened to me, but blah, blah, blah. And I'm just going to stay here because that's what's easier. If you want a better life, if you want a new life, you have to make new choices and better decisions for yourself. So I think that was so well said. And I know some people that have had hard upbringings and that say exactly what you said. They say, but, and then they have this whole litany of whether it's excuses or reasons or whatever, why things are the way they are. It's, I find it really hard. Like I will try and help someone like that personally because it drives, like, I just, I, I want to be like, you could change your life. It's all in you. But I don't know if you have any advice or even for our listeners, like, how do you get someone who's in kind of that cycle of almost like the self-fulfilling prophecy, like you were talking about where you're convincing yourself or convincing someone else that they're going to do something to hurt you to get out of that and to be able to move forward. Like there are, I know a lot of women that aren't strong, like you're very strong and maybe you weren't as strong when you were younger. I don't know, but where they, they don't feel like they can relinquish that control. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Maybe I'm not making sense. (laughs) No, you make, you make total sense. I love that. I think So I'll use my own example, like one of the worst things that ever happened to me. In my sexual assault, my friend was holding me down on a bed, both my arms. I couldn't, I couldn't move my arms. I'm sorry if this is triggering for people, but um, holding down my arms and I kept saying no and please stop. And he wouldn't stop. Eventually he did stop and it didn't go any further. And I was able to, to walk away. But for me in terms of the trauma that that put onto my body when it comes to sex and someone holding you down and feeling like you have no control. And when you say no, and someone doesn't respect that and listen to your boundary, it's a whole lot of fucked up. (laughs) There's just like a lot of layers of issues right there. Right. And I use that as the example, because for me, I could continue to say, I was in this situation and this person did this thing to me. And now I suffer with my sexual experiences and I feel out of control and I don't trust men anymore. That would, that could be the narrative. And it was the narrative in the beginning because that was really awful. But I realized for myself that that person's not even thinking about me anymore. That person probably doesn't even think about that experience because of who they are and that they think that was okay. And so I'm letting myself think that someone else is holding me hostage still to a situation when that's actually not what's happening. I'm holding myself hostage to this situation because I'm not making a new choice or shifting my lens to take my own power back in my own body. I'm saying now he has full control over my sexual experiences and my sovereignty. That's what I said. No, fuck that. Like we're not doing that. And I understand that like therapy is important, somatic experiences, releasing this stuff. Like it doesn't happen overnight. I'm not like, just get over your trauma. I'm definitely not saying that. But I'm saying that we have an opportunity to look at things through a different lens. And if you want to take your body back or your experience back or whatever it is for you, you have to be the one to do that. I cannot rely on this man to relinquish me from this prison. Like, oh, you're free now, Kelly. No, that's never going to happen. And it's also not his job to do that. It's my job to take care of myself. And 
I chose to do that, which is why I healed from it because I'm not going to keep myself hostage in a situation when I have the ability to change that. That's just how I feel. That's amazing. And it's such great advice. And I know, like you said, it's, it takes a lot and you've been through it. You've done a lot of modalities and therapies and all those things, but the, the, the control is back in you, back on the person that had the experience and it's a hundred percent in our control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, don't let your, like your, we spend so much time and energy then going through all these scenarios and not living our lives. But the other person, like you said, has moved on. <laughs> and I think, I think all of us want to just live our most authentic life mm-hmm. and have more joy and stop telling ourselves those freaking stories and, you know, just feel worthy and feel good about ourselves again. Right. I think that's all we all really want. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man. I feel like we could talk to you all day. Kelly. I, know. <laughs> I you mean, ask there's, amazing question. So I will say <laughs> there's just so much more I want to unpack. I think you'll have to come back for a part two. Um, so we love leaving our listeners with just a couple simple tips and you have given so much, you've peppered a million different, you know, strategies and tips throughout this conversation, but one or two things to help people on their journey, wherever they're at, what would you, what are your top tips? Um, so I think for me, having radical, radically honest conversations with yourself is really, really important. Be willing to go there, be willing to see what is there um, and acknowledge it for yourself and do everything you can in your power to learn how to trust yourself. When we trust ourselves, everything shifts. Our codependent habits shift, our need to people please and get external validation shifts and the trust we have in ourselves to follow our own intuition and make decisions for ourselves that are really aligned um, and not for other reasons or purposes is just so valuable and so untapped. So if you're someone who feels lost, like, I don't know what decision to make, or I don't know where to go from here, the more you can tap into your own trust and your own intuition, the clarity comes. You don't have to seek it. It's really just being with yourself and trusting yourself and allowing that clarity to come to you. I think that's so true. And I, just thinking about my own life and when I've taken a step back and I'm writing a memoir right now, and even the, the process of writing the memoir has forced me to tap into my own trust and take a step back and think about things from the past and whatever. And it really is amazing what a release that is too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I know we're running out of time, but we'd love for you to tell people where they can find you, maybe share something about Soulfire Productions and how you're helping other podcasters in the industry. Yeah. Um, so I'm on Instagram at Kelly T. Moore and then Soulfire's Instagram is Soulfire Productions Co. Our website is soulfireproductionsco.com. Um, and yeah, I kind of describe Soulfire as like a one-stop shop for podcasters. So we create all your content. We do, you know, all of your audio, all of your video. We provide strategy. We have a mastermind for our hosts. We do consulting. We have a pod course. If you're someone who has a team or does your show on your own, um, that really takes you step-by-step through our process with our clients. So we don't keep anything behind a veil. We tell you everything we know and how we do everything because one of our values is transparency. Um, and then the other one is community. And we really want to bring podcasters, podcasters together and help them feel super informed and empowered when putting their shows together. Um, and so we have lots of options for you to work with us, but it's, it's really cool to um, help people see themselves more deeply and also to just expand their reach and their platforms in conversations like this that I feel like are just so necessary. How can we talk to more of those people and reach more people to elicit actual change in their lives? And it's just, it's my favorite. <laughs> oh, I love it. We may have to have a side conversation. Yeah, I think we do. So Kelly, as we wrap up this conversation, the last question we love to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? Yeah, I think, um, the art of living well is really about just being aligned with what makes you the happiest and whatever happy means to you. I think if you asked me this five years ago, 
happy would have meant money and Louis Vuitton bags and a Mercedes and attention. Um, and now it really looks like a slower life in the mountains, playing with my dogs um, and having the ability to run a company that is just so in integrity and really cares about people um, and a relationship that feels really fulfilled um, and supportive. And I think the more we can lean into that every single day and remind ourselves that that is possible, then living well just comes comes much easier. Mm, that's so beautiful. beautiful. Um, where do you live out of curiosity? Um, just outside of Denver in Colorado. Nice. Oh, so you left the LA life for Colorado. Yes. <laughs> I <move>. escaped. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right before the pandemic too. So I, I looked out. <laughs> wow. Perfectly tied. Marty and I love the mountains. We love Colorado. So oh, truly a breath oh, of fresh air. <laughs> yeah. And, and more, more ways than one, right? Yep. Oh God, this was such an amazing conversation. Thank mm. you so much. Thank um, you both. I really appreciate it. Again, like you, you asked the best questions. This was, I haven't talked about a lot of these things, so I appreciate it so much. Well, it was yeah. a great conversation and thank you for being so vulnerable and open. And we wish you the best of luck with your new little one. Thank you. Yes. Can't wait to see the photos on Instagram. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't know if you're having a boy or girl, which I love that you're just going with the spontaneity of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Releasing <so>. control. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, gosh. We'll have a wonderful rest of your day, Kelly. Thank yeah, you. Have you a too. great day. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the art of living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.